I've heard the story told frequently and even fervently of Kathy's parents' early days in Hamilton, Ontario. The declaration that I've heard over and over again was that it was a church that was much like a family. Pastor Pearly Hathaway had a dynamic group of young people and couples seeking the face of God, joining together. And it probably was much like family because many of this young church family had left this province and moved there in search of work and opportunity and whatever else that was presented there. You may not know Pastor Hathaway. I know him. I, I had the privilege of meeting him and being with him because one of my very best friends, Peter Long, his grandfather was Pearlie Hathaway. So I met him and his elder in later years while this church family had the privilege of having him pastor them in their early years. You know names that were there. Our previous pastor, Jack Long, just a young man. Those young families were blossoming. They were growing. It was an active, engaged church. The spirit was moving and both naturally and supernaturally, the church was growing. Except for in the natural, in the Tracy household. The frustration was rising and the hurt was evident. The fear that comes with the reality of infertility was pressing in on that young couple. The season of barrenness was bringing Kathy's mom to a place of brokenness. She is a praying woman. Prayer had been made. Kathy's father is a prince of a man. He Reminds me of Enoch. He walks with God. You don't have any conversation longer than a few minutes or a few moments with Terry where God doesn't enter the equation and the conversation shifts to something about feeling the presence of God or taking time to talk with God. They love God. And as other babies were born, they were walking this roadway of uncertainty. What if we never have children? What is happening? What did we do wrong? Why us? Why are we the ones with empty arms? It's not a difficult story for us to tell now because the punchline was playing the piano this morning. But it was a difficult road to walk then. Barrenness is obvious in Scripture. There are at least seven women that we're aware of and they make note of that find their story being told through verses, chapters, books. Three of the four matriarchs were barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. If we move on through scripture, you'll find Hannah, the mother of Samuel. The wife of Manoah, mother of Samson. The great woman of Shunem, the Shunammite woman. Elizabeth, if we shift to the New Testament, all were women that struggled with barrenness. The conflict between the ability to give birth and the pain of barrenness are present between the pages of the Bible. And often we aren't given the emotional elements of every single story, but it would seem that when we begin to discuss barrenness, God pulls the curtains back and he allows us to see a message in the raw emotions of these women. Why were so many prominent women in the Bible barren? Ultimately, it was God who was seen as the one that held the keys to opening and closing the womb. Only female figures are identified by the descriptor, the word akara or barren 
in Genesis, Judges, Samuel, Psalms, and Job. The word is derived from the Hebrew root word meaning to uproot or to pluck up. The opposite, the antonym of, a, of the word is to plant. And it would give the indication that larger hands are in control, that a greater force is at work, that God is actually the one who controls. These biblical women personally suffered as the consequence of their story. No one wants to attribute their barrenness to something wrong with them. And we don't want to either. Jacob's response to Rachel is a reminder to us and to her that God is still the one that's in control. I'd like to remind someone of that today. God's still in control. God's still in control. But throughout the story, I do believe that part of God's plan in Scripture is that He wants the brokenness about barrenness to get our attention today. It's the desperation that reaches off of the pages and pulls us, emotions and all, into the middle of these stories. It's Rebecca leaving home and her family and everything that she knows to find herself in a foreign place, married to a man that she doesn't even know, only to find that her womb is barren. It's Sarah reaching the end of a rope and passing her husband, the handmaid Hagar. It's Sarah's laughter at the idea that her aged body could even bear a baby. It's Rachel using her handmaid Bilhah and mandrakes and a concoction trying desperately to open her womb. It's her cry of desperation that echoes in our ears. Give me children or I die. It's Leah that uses her handmaid Zilpah throughout scripture. It's the desperation that reaches us off the pages and says, we have to do something. What is it that we can do on our part? What did we miss? What are we missing? It's Hannah's voice that's lost to the brokenness of her barrenness that invites Eli's contempt because he's convinced that she's drunk, but she's not. And it's evident that there was one thing that was making the difference in every story. And that was simply the power of prayer. It was prayer that changed things. As desperate as things were, when prayer entered the equation, something began to happen. It may not have been immediate, but God was definitely at work. It would seem like he holds the keys, but prayer moves the hands that holds those keys. It was that way in the natural, and you know that we're heading somewhere in the supernatural, but let's just stay here for another moment if we could. It's no doubt that Abraham prayed for his promise that God had given him. In Genesis 25, Isaac prays for Rebekah. It's prayer that opens the women in Abimelech's household's womb in Genesis chapter 20. Hannah, that one we just mentioned, prays bold prayers and makes bold promises. It was her prayer that began to change it. If you read in 1 Samuel 10, you'll find it. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore and she vowed a vow and said O Lord of hosts if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid but will give unto thine handmaid a man child then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head there was this 
common theme that ran throughout scripture that when things got desperate and when things seemed absolutely impossible that God would begin to turn it when somebody began to pray. I'd just like to issue a call to the intercessors this morning. I'd like to issue a call to the spiritually frustrated this morning. I'd like to issue a call for someone to pick up and take up a torch of prayer because our world is in desperate need of someone to stand in the gap and become an intercessor for God to begin to move. The natural mirrors the supernatural. And we find it there in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8. It states this, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. I'm I just going to remind us all this morning that Zion is a picture of the church. And when Zion begins to travail, then something is birthed in the supernatural when Zion begins to lift her voice and say God we need transition we need change we need new birth God we need babies born into the kingdom we need the altar filled then something happens in the supernatural realm I'm telling you that when Zion travails travailing isn't easy travailing is hard work it's called travail because something happens in your natural man something has got to be moved something shifts your mind gets engaged your heart gets engaged Rebecca's cry becomes yours give me children give us children or we die When Zion travails, there is something that happens. Walls fall. Doors open. Windows are opened up in the heavenly. God's ear is inclined when Zion travails. There isn't anything that will get God's attention quicker than someone that's crying out on behalf of birth. We are... We are all aware of the significant loss that our church has experienced in the past few weeks. Kathy spoke powerful word last weekend. And she wasn't just capitalizing on a couple of funerals for emphasis in a Mother's Day message last week. We are sensitive to the families in mourning right now and our heart is with them now. There is a void in their lives and there is a void in our lives. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God is going to release burden in this room if we'll receive it. Charlene DeMerchant was a spiritual force to be reckoned with. I can't even tell you how many people that came to me personally and said, you know, Here's what Charlene did for me. This is how she impacted my life, and nobody else would have even known about it. We didn't hear about it until after. After 
she passed and people began to talk about notes that she would leave in their Bibles and prayers that she would pray around their schools and people that she would impact by coming alongside and saying, let me walk through this journey with you. Let me, let me find you in this low place and join you on this journey because God's in control. How that she would uh, work with our multicultural community and how that she would work with newcomers brand new to the community. How that she would give of herself over and over and over again and, and she would spend time praying and that she would stand in the gap. And those prayers, pastor said it, he said it in funerals, he said it uh, in, in services and I echo his words that those prayers will never die. But that doesn't mean we stop praying. That doesn't mean hope goes along with those funerals. We got to keep hope alive. And so someone, the, 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 the challenge, the, the truth is that truth will transfer from generation to generation, but someone has to be willing to stand up and say, I'll be the one to stand in the gap. I'll be the one to take that, that model. I'll be the one to take that testimony. I'll be the one that will, take, uh, that will take all of those stories and begin to let my life become an image of that. It's a beautiful thing when, when we can stand and begin to relay instances where someone's life was the one thing that transformed or changed somebody else. Somebody interceded. Somebody prayed. Somebody stood in the gap. Sister Phillips spent hours every day praying for you. Not generically, not, oh God bless CCC. But the story of, of Sister Phillips is powerful because she was unable to do much in the natural. She, she, her strength had waned and her, her weakness was evident and obvious in the natural. But in the supernatural, there was a powerhouse in that little lady that sat right there with Brother Phillips. Her church directory was tattered. And torn. The global missions map was literally in pieces. And, and I know I'm leaning a little bit on what we talked about at her funeral. But church family, I, I, I wanted to share that with all of us today. I know that not everybody was able to be there. Maybe you caught the funeral online. But, but I, just, I just wanted to remind us of the great treasure we had in that lady. And the great intercessor that she was. That her life made a difference. That she would take the church directory and that she would call your name out. We called her CCC's grandmother. Because written beside the names and the phone numbers of the church directory was, you know, when somebody got married, the spouse's name got added alongside. When somebody got baptized, the baptism was there beside their name, baptized. August 29. But there beside... Our names were little bits of information diagnosed with cancer. And she would pray over those names. And she would pray for our church family every single day. And that her vision shifted beyond this local congregation to a global vision. Her, her vision wasn't just for a local group of people, but it was for the world. Fredericton was too small for her. New Brunswick was just a little bit too little. 
and that her prayer would move beyond. And, and I'm so thankful for our church family. This, I haven't come to rebuke us this morning, but I have come to challenge us today. I'm asking God to release burden in the room. I'm thankful for the finance that comes through you group of people. And money moves the mission, that's true. Money buys plane tickets and motorbikes and buildings and books and vehicles and moves that missionary from here to there, but it's prayer that moves the mission. Giving is a test of our trust. Giving opens the window of heavenly blessing. Giving opens the pipeline because if it comes in this hand and you release it out of this hand, God says, I can trust that. I'll, I'll let more flow through. And I'm grateful for all of that. But that doesn't negate. It doesn't alleviate. It doesn't remove our responsibility to pray. Because money moves some things in the natural realm. But it's that prayer that begins to shift things into the supernatural realm. And when Zion travails, something is birthed. When Zion travails, something is brought forth. When Zion travails, when we begin to catch the vision of what happens in prayer, when we begin to catch the vision of the power of a bended knee and a lifted voice, when we begin to catch the vision of what happens when we elevate our gaze from everything going on here to that throne room of the Almighty, that God is the one that's in control. When we begin, come on, when we begin to have our conversations more than and just with someone sitting in the seat with us, something begins to happen in the supernatural. And when Zion travails, something opens up that we can't open up with money, that we can't open up with political connections, that we can't open up in the natural realm. But when we begin to pray, God, in your name, would you begin to change it? God, would you begin to turn it? God, would you begin to shift that, nat that supernatural realm? Something happens when Zion travails. She brings forth. prayer that pillar that rises into the throne room of the king of kings and the lord of lords cannot be overlooked it's cornelius's consistent prayer that comes up as a memorial before god and changes things his his house is the first house that that is visited with the gospel in the new testament for the gentile why because his prayer his prayer kept rising his prayer kept getting prayed he pushed things out of the way God, I need you in my home. God, I, he, he gave, he gave. That was intentional. That was there in the word, but he didn't just give. It wasn't just about his giving. It was about his praying that shifted something in the supernatural. And God got his attention and he got God's attention and God began to move things. So his home was the first home that God visited with the gospel of the kingdom. Today, I'm telling you that we can shift something in the supernatural when we travail. I wonder if someone would just, just kind of let your voice voice out for a moment this morning and begin to pray. Someone just begin to pray for one minute. That's, that's great. That's awesome. I, I just wonder if you would elevate that for a moment. It, I'm not looking for volume, but I wonder if someone would just let burden begin to rest on you for a minute.
Move, Father. I hear it. I, I hear Rebecca in the room. I, I hear the cry that's rising. Pentecost was not just birthed from a sermon. I thank God for the message we preach that echoes Peter on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was not birthed out of a song service. Pentecost was birthed out of a prayer meeting. It was the prayer of perseverance until the day of Pentecost was fully come. It was a prayer of patience until the day of Pentecost was fully come. It was a prayer of power until the day of Pentecost was fully come. There is untold power in prayer. I think we have a picture of the missions map and the church directory that Sister Phillips prayed through. There, there's, we had to literally piece it together. Pastor Matt and, and Brandon, they, they, they took it sheet by sheet because it was in pieces. But because, and this is the 2017 map, and, and we had copies. This, this was probably the one that was maybe in the best shape. I don't know. There was one from 2010 that was tattered, and there was missions maps beyond that. There was multiple. This isn't just the one that she had. This is the one that we picked because she had prayed over these names, and she had called out regions and written in little margins. There were just little emphasis about South America or Central America and people that were there in the Pacific and in and, and Europe and the Middle East and the global missions officials that that gave direction to the department. And, 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 and I'm wondering if we'll ever see, and I think I know the answer, we, know, we never will see this side of heaven, the impact of all of that prayer, because when Zion travails, something happens. And Pastor Woodward, he posted a picture of this, and, and he had missionaries respond, and he said, I, I wondered sometimes where the strength comes from for us to do what we do, and, and now we know. That, that's, that's my paraphrase of the conversation, but, but basically that's, that's, that's an answer to why sometimes missionaries are able to succeed or continue is because somebody somewhere was willing to pray. And, and this, isn't, this isn't to discourage us. This is, this is to encourage someone today to say, I think I could do a little bit of that, a whole lot more. I, I, think that, I think that I could pray and, 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 and I could let my voice be lifted because I know the Pacific region needs us and I know that Asia needs us and Africa needs us and Central America and South America and Europe and, and the Middle East, good Lord, right now they absolutely critically need us. They, they need us. And when Zion travails, something is birthed. It was her son. I think we have one more picture with the church directory. 
Or do we already have that up and I just didn't notice? There, this is a, church, a few of the church directories. And just, you can see all the personal notes and we've blurred some of it so that, just because. But what a testimony. And what an encouragement for someone to say, I'll continue that. Because in reality, the baton, she's run the race. But the baton is being passed. The baton has left aged hands that traced names and individuals and families and regions and nations. It's left those hands and it's transferred into someone's hands this morning. But I'm wondering, will it be ours? Will you be willing? And you say, well, that's, that's some, a bit of a commission this morning, Pastor Jack. It abs- absolutely is because, because I already sense the loss of that, whether it's just because I, I know that that's no longer happening here on terra firma or because in reality there is a need for that. But someone... Someone's got to be willing to say, I'll be the one. Because when Zion travails, those times when baptisms happened and we couldn't really make a direct link, let me tell you where it came from, prayers like that. The times that the baptismal waters were stirred and, and we can say, oh, where did they come from? I, I don't really know. I, we just connected and, and there was a hunger there. Why? Because when Zion travailed, what, what about the, the, the services where someone bowed their knee and they're gloriously filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you why it happened. Because Zion travailed. It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't this powerful, tremendous team that we get to work with all the time. Maybe sometimes, yeah. But I do know this, that when Zion travailed, she brings forth. And when the church is willing to bow her knee and let prayer become priority, something happens in the supernatural realm. It was Sister Philip's son, Phil, that was home to visit her recently in March. It was time for her to go to bed. He offered his assistance to help her to her room. Her independence caused her to decline her son's assistance. She was the one that always served the entire family, so I'm sure it was difficult for her to accept any help from anybody. But he checked on her to make sure that she was making her way okay, and as he looked into her room, he found her there in prayer. No longer able to bow her knee, but she could bow her head. And there at the side of the bed, before she pillowed her head, she prayed. And we can leave that there for a few seconds and it might do us all good. I, Brother Phillips, I apologize if that's difficult for you. But that's powerful for us. It may be good to allow those pixels to lodge themselves in our mind so that we've all got those times, don't we? When we talk ourselves out of prayer. knocks down a bit of the logic that we may try and use to excuse personal prayer. I, I've used some of these words during the funeral, but I felt compelled to use them today. If we will be faithful in praying, 
God will be faithful in working. If we will send up prayer, God will send down power. God will send down the word that we need in moments like this. God's word comes in seasons just like that. We can come back to the music. I thank you for your kind attention this morning. It's while Sarah is still in her tent that three men, angels, appear to Abraham to announce the birth of a son to them in their old age. It's God's word that comes to Rebecca to let her know that twins are in her womb. God hears Rachel and he remembers her, the scripture says. Genesis chapter 30. It's Samson, Samson's mom that has promised a child who will save the Israelites from the Philistines. It's Hannah that's promised that she'll be granted what she asked for. It's the Shunammite's unasked request that's answered with the promise of a child that will come, even though she never even asked for one. To her, it was too good to be true. Elijah, please don't lie to your handmaid. And in case you thought I forgot about finishing the story of Alice and Terry Tracy and little Kathy, it was in one of those red-hot services in Hamilton where the Spirit of God was moving. And the Holy Ghost was flowing. People were rejoicing. It was Sister Long, and that's grandmother that was in that service. She happened to be standing in front of Alice, and as the Holy Ghost began to move, she got a little unconventional. She spun around and invaded personal space. She placed both of her hands right on Alice's belly and she began to pray. In the Holy Ghost. And that belly was no longer barren. And baby Kathy was on the way in no time and she's still here and I'm glad. But that is what happens when Zion travails I wasn't there to see that happen I've heard the story a few times but I've got that image in my mind that little lady that we knew turning around her seat and she was never she was she was never outspoken she wasn't in your face she wasn't loud she was quiet always so respectful quiet voice but when the Holy Ghost began to move something stirred in the supernatural and she just turned and placed her hands on Alice's belly and began to pray I I can see that in my mind wasn't there but I can see it in my mind and when Zion travails who something happens the resolution to the woman's Barrenness in scripture is often marked by this phrase, and God remembered. And I'm convinced that prayer is just a reminder to God to say, God, here's what you promised. God, here's what you said. 
God, here's what your word declares. In the last days, say of God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And when Zion is upset because she's not seeing that happen yet, and when Zion gets stirred up because the altar's been too quiet for too long, and when Zion gets stirred up, when Zion travails because the baptismal tank has just been a little bit too long since we've had that water being stirred, when Zion travails, that's when something begins to shift in the supernatural realm. It's, it's outreach teams that were out yesterday ministering to our community it's it's prayer meetings that people begin to pray and say God open the window of heaven we don't care about bank accounts we care about new birth that's what we care about we care about brand new babies in the kingdom God nothing else matters when we begin to be stirred like Rebecca when we begin to be stirred like Hannah when we begin to be stirred until we're 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 just overcome The shift from barrenness to birth highlighted the fact that God was the one that's in control and he still is when Zion travails. God's still in control, but he waits for someone to remind him with the power of prayer of what he promised that he would, could, and shall do. I wonder if you'd stand together with me no doubt that the enemy fights life take a look at what's happening in the nation to the south of us right now leaked supreme court documents about roe versus wade being overturned justices are being illegally picketed people are protesting headlines are calling this a setback the senate is working to arrest the attempt to overturn rulings our own prime minister is announcing that he's attempting to make sure what's happening there won't happen here the enemy's always been anti-life that's why we embrace the struggle in the natural but it's the natural that mirrors the supernatural the fight happens on two fronts And we've got to be willing to engage the enemy where he is. And that doesn't happen with spears and swords. It doesn't happen with shields and guns. It doesn't happen with tanks as as much as an evidence of that is in the natural. It happens with people that commit to pray. And I'm so grateful for the promise and the power of prayer that we possess today because there, the word still is there if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. It may not happen the first time. It may not happen the fifth time but we got our mind made up. I'm not stopping until something shifts in the supernatural. I'm not stopping until I'm going to travail until because when Zion travails The enemy's not even happy after God answers. You can find it in Scripture. It's Jacob fleeing for his life from Esau. It's Isaac on the altar, although they can't blame the enemy for that. That was God. It's Joseph almost losing his life at the hands of his brothers. It's Samson facing Philistines alone. It's the Shunammite's son dying but being brought back to life. The enemy doesn't just stop. He's relentless in his Come on, in his threat of the church, in his fight against the church, he's, he's just relentless. He's pushing, but he cannot, he cannot stop when Zion 
travails. There's this element that he can't control. He can't control it when someone begins to pray and to cry out in his name. Something begins to happen in the supernatural that's beyond his control. Something begins to happen. Something begins to break out. Something begins to stir. A fire begins to fall. A wind begins to blow. There's something that happens when Zion travails and I just wonder if somebody wasn't content with the way things may be right now that would say I'm going to lift my voice and cry out for a moment this morning. Oh, would you pray? Praise team, could you pray with me? Right from the praise team to the sound room to the balcony, would someone just begin to lift your voice? It'd be all right if you wanted to come to the altar. It'd be all right if someone said, I, I, I'm getting the baton this morning. I, I'm catching the vision. I hear, I hear the call. It's not just the call. Come on. There's a burden that's resting in the room this morning. There's a cry. There's a cry that's yet to be issued. It may be that your prayer is the one prayer that changes something in the supernatural. It may be your travail that bursts something that never would be birthed. It wouldn't. It couldn't be until your voice. When Zion, when? When Zion travails. It's not, it's not until Zion travails that something happens. We got room at this altar for many. And we need everybody. Whoa. 